most of us start to develop a, a, a sense of how the world works, of how we relate to the world. Uh, we, we start to develop that at an early age. We, we don't get to choose our parents. We don't get to choose the people who raise us. We don't choose whether we're born into one culture or into another culture or in one generation or in the next. And yet our, our families and our, our early experiences play a prominent role in how we develop our values and how we develop our values. So from an early age, I, I learned education was important, something that my, my parents just kind of said. My mom was a teacher, so... Education was going to be important in my family. I learned that, that hard work was, would produce results. My dad was an engineer. Got to work hard, got to work hard, got to work hard, that it would produce results. Uh, that I learned that family dinners together were a priority. I, I learned that attending church on Sunday morning was a non-negotiable. It's just what we did. I, I learned that there were certain things we talked about as a family and certain things that we, we didn't talk about as a family. For better or worse, and either intentionally or unintentionally, my, my parents handed me a, a set of values that was passed down to them and developed out of their own experience. And then somewhere along the line, I, I learned to either challenge those values, probably in middle school, maybe, maybe high school, definitely in college, I learned to, to challenge some of those values that had been passed down to me, or, or I learned to embrace those values. It's a process that most of us go through as, as we begin to kind of develop our own identity. We go from being rule followers to questioning why the rules exist in the first place. We grow up with one understanding of how a family should look, and, and then we move into our dorm and we meet somebody who has a very different family, and we say, oh, families don't have to look exactly the way that, that my family looks. Uh, we think college is the only uh, option for education, and then we move into a neighborhood and we have a neighbor who, who never went to college but has a thriving career. They challenge kind of our understanding of, 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 of education. We vote one way. And we think those who vote a different way are wrong or are immoral. And then we befriend somebody at work who stands on the other side of the political aisle. And we say, hey, they're normal. They're not all that bad after all because I've gotten to know them. Our values develop out of our upbringing and out of our experience. And when we don't check them, when we don't take an honest look at our values and how we relate to the world, we run the risk of believing that the lens through which we see the world is the only valid lens. The only valid lens. And if you don't see the world the way that I see the world, you're an awful person. That's not true. In the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, where we're going to be this morning and, and where we're going to be for the next few weeks, the, the Beatitudes that the choir just led us, led us through, Jesus takes the values of his day, which aren't all that different really from the values of our day today, and he, he turns them on their head. So over the next four weeks, I'm going to invite us to look at, at what we value, to take some honest questions about what we value as a church as individuals, and to ask ourselves just honestly, do, what does that mean? What, what, what does that mean? Uh, we often think of the Beatitudes as having to do with the future. 
But Jesus' intention for his followers is to experience the abundant kingdom that he so often talked about in the present. Today, N.T. Wright, he puts it this way. He, he says, he says, we are to pray that God's kingdom will come. We pray that in the Lord's Prayer every week. We are to pray that God's kingdom will come and God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The life of heaven, the life of the realm where God is already king, is to become the life of the world, transforming the present earth, the place where we live, into the place of beauty and delight that God always intended. And those who follow Jesus are to begin to live by this rule here and now. That's the point of the Sermon on the Mount. And these Beatitudes in particular. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, help us to be a a people who focus uh, our attention, our, our devotion on you and on your kingdom. In all that we do and all that we act and all that we say. Uh, over these next few moments, Lord, we just ask that you'd give us ears to hear what you have for us. And I ask that you would take my words and use them for your kingdom. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So, so two weeks ago, I, I, I mentioned that before Jesus preached, he spent time acting. That, that he spent time doing kind of the show. When, whenever Jesus taught, there was always a, a show and a tell. It was like an elementary school, an elementary school classroom. He showed and he told. So two weeks ago, before we got to the Sermon on the Mount, we, we talked about that Jesus lived out the kingdom before he taught about the kingdom. So, so, so he, he called us to repent, to follow and to be healed. And we see that lived out in his life before he preaches the Sermon on the Mount. So the first, the first church has kind of gathered around him and those, those people are people who have witnessed him doing these things. They, they've witnessed him calling for repentance. They've, they've, they've witnessed him saying to the four fishermen, hey, come and follow me. They've, they've seen him heal people and restore people. And so naturally they follow him and the crowds, the crowds build and build and build. And one of the things I said two weeks ago, was that really that, that, that first group who heard the Sermon on the Mount, the four fishermen and, and the crowds that had seen him work, kind of made up the, the, first, the first church. So starting at Matthew chapter 5, we read this. When Jesus saw the crowds, all those people who had followed him, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying this. Now, over the next four weeks, we're going to be reading through the Beatitudes, I encourage you to be at home reading Matthew 5, 3 through 12. It's not that long. So we're going to do something every, every Sunday that's a little different. We're going to read the scripture together. We can do it. Hooper, I promise it's going to be okay. I promise it's going to be okay. We can, we can read, we can read it together. So we're going to read beatitude by beatitude, um, together. So, so join, join with me. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So I want to encourage you over the next couple weeks to to read through these at home. To read through these at home, to kind of internalize them some. It's, it's only nine verses. It's not that long. But when Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount, uh, he starts it in a way that, that is very different than how, how we normally start 
a sermon, how I normally preach, he starts with these blessings. He starts with the way we normally end our church service. How do we normally end our church service? A benediction. A benediction. Jesus starts his, his message, this, this biggest message we have, with a blessing. Now go and do this. Now live this way. Now go out in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, taking what you heard into the world. Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount with his benediction. And then he gets to all the other stuff. Then he gets to all, all of the instruction. So he's setting the tone for this, this long teaching with blessings. It sets the stage for everything else he says. So before we get too far into the blessings, I, I, I want to make one thing clear. When Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit or, or blessed those who, who mourn, he's not saying, try your hardest to live like this. He, 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 and he's not also saying, hey, if you're meek, or if you're hungry and thirst for righteousness, you should be happy. You should celebrate for the, the state of the, of the world that you find yourself in. He, he's announcing this, this kind of upside-down kingdom. So he's saying those who are, are meek, those who are, are hunger and thirst for righteousness, they have a unique view on the world. They have a unique view on how God works and how God's kingdom works in our midst. There were certain people or groups who, who recognized God's kingdom as an unfolding. These were broken people. These were people who, who kind of prioritized helping other people. And, and these were people who were hurting themselves. And these three groups, the broken, the helpers, the hurting, they were blessed because they have a unique perspective on God's kingdom. The broken, the helping, the hurting. Uh, one of my, my favorite biblical scholars is a, a guy named Dale Bruner. And when he writes about the Beatitudes, he, he writes that each set of Beatitudes, the, the three different sets, and we're going to talk through each different set throughout, throughout the series, but when he, he talks through the three different sets, he, he says that each of them can, can, can kind of be described over a different posture. First, there's the blessed poor. It's what we, we just read about. Those who are in need. And when he talks about the blessed poor, I'm going to see if I can do this without falling. He talks about people who are on their knees and who are reaching out to God in need. On, on, and he said these people are blessed that are, are on their knees reaching out to God. They are the people who are in need and they are blessed because they have a unique perspective on how God's kingdom looks in their world. So that's the first group. That's where we're going to spend most of our time today. And then he talks about the, the blessed helpers. And these are the people who reach out. These are the people who live their lives reaching out into the world. And because they spend time reaching out into the world, they have a unique perspective on how God's kingdom looks because they're constantly in contact with people who are they're reaching out to in the world. And then the, the last group, the, the hurt beatitudes that we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks, these these are people, the persecuted, and they're they're I'm not going to stay like this for too long. They're on their back. I know you can't see me in the way back. They're on their back reaching up because it's all that they can do. It's all that they can do. So they're on their back reaching up, and because they're on their back reaching up, they have a very unique understanding of joy, of hope, 
Uh, it's a place that you can only really experience when you're lying on your back and at your wit's end. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. So these, these kind of three postures... It's how I want us to think through the Beatitudes. We've got, we've got the need Beatitudes. And it's the image of somebody on their knees reaching up and saying, God, help me. It's, it's the, the, the help Beatitudes. And the help Beatitudes are for the helpers because they are seeing different corners of the world. And then the last one, the, the hurt Beatitudes, those are those who are persecuted and they're on their back and all they can do is cry out for, for God. So those three. This morning we're gonna, we're gonna spend time focusing on that first group, on the, on the need beatitudes, and, and it's those, it's, it's those who are broken. And we see that, that God, that Jesus blesses broken people. So a couple weeks ago I, I talked about how, uh, my, my daughter and my, my son were starting softball and baseball, and, and Thomas's tryouts were yesterday. Tryouts for a four-year-old. Tryouts for for a four-year-old. Uh, I, I went and, and kind of caught in the back and, and, and volunteered and, and, and had some fun. But um, th- there are kids in this league who who are a year or two older than Thomas, and and they knew the drills. They showed up with eye black. They had eye black. They had batting gloves on. They they were they were ready to go. You can tell that their dad took them to the batting cage the night before. And then you had Thomas. And kids, kids like Thomas. So, so they were all excited to be there, but, but, but the, the kids who, who, who were prepared, who had, had played before, you could tell that they were kind of on edge. They were nervous. They wanted the good coach. They, they wanted to be on the, the, the top two teams because the top two teams play in a, in a little bit different division. You, you could feel the pressure that these kids in eye black and batting gloves had on. Thomas showed up and he didn't care. He, he, he didn't know any better. So in his group, he was the first to go for every single drill. He caught his ground balls, but he couldn't throw to first. He, he missed his pop flies. He just stood there like this and it hit him in the chest. And he definitely couldn't hit off the pitching machine. But it didn't matter. It didn't matter. He had this giant grin on his face the entire time. He saw the game differently. It was almost as if just being on the field was enough. Jesus starts the Beatitudes with the people who who saw the world differently. who, Who saw the world a certain way. These were the folks who had seen him in action. They had watched him preach. They had watched him heal broken people. Uh, Most of us would look at the crowds that gathered on that hill that day and and, and we would say, you know what? They're just struggling to do what they can to get by. They're just doing their best to get by. Yet, Yet for them, just being there, just being there was enough. Just sitting at Jesus' feet and listening, it was enough. They knew they were broken. They didn't need Jesus to remind them. They, they knew that they were broken. They knew that they, they weren't the most well-off. They knew that they weren't the most success, successful in their community or the most influential. They, they knew they were broken. And Jesus starts his message with saying, you're blessed. You're blessed. So before we get too far into the Sermon on the Mount, we need to see that this is a message for broken people. 
and whether or not we want to recognize it, and I hope at some point we do, we are all broken. No one sitting in this congregation has it all together. I hate to tell you. Except for maybe John. I'm just kidding, John. No, nobody has it all together. No one who heard Jesus' first message had it all together. And none of us who are here this morning or who are a part of, of this church community have it all figured out. We are all broken. We are all broken. And, and, and the good news in that is we are also all blessed. But we are all broken. Or as Eugene Peterson translates this part, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God. More of God's rule. When the Gospel of Luke talks about this first blessing, the, the poor in spirit, um, Luke focuses on the physical side. Luke says, blessed are the poor. He stops right right there. And, and, and what, what, what Jesus says here in Matthew is, is, yes, blessed are the poor, but there's, there's also other ways that we can recognize that we are at wit's end. Those who are, are literally poor, they just are reminded of it everywhere they go. But, but there's other ways that we can be at wit's end. For Matthew, it means physically poor, but it also means recognizing those who own their own brokenness. Those who are poor in spirit are people who own their own brokenness. They recognize they're lost. They, they recognize that there's nowhere to turn but to Jesus. So, so Jesus looks to those who are crying out either because of their literal poverty or because they hurt so bad that they can't deny the exhaustion, the confusion, the daily struggle. And he says, look up. Look up. I'm, I'm here and the kingdom of God is here and it's for you. You are blessed. So some of us here this morning, we're here and, and we just hurt. We, we, we can't even describe why we hurt, but we're at our wit's end. We're at the end of our rope, and, and we're just, ah, uh, ah, uh, we just hurt. We might not even be able to describe why. But in the deepest part of our being, we know that there's something off. And it, it hurts. And the good news is, if that's you, Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount, probably his, his most, well, definitely his most well-known sermon, his, his longest sermon with, breathe, those of you who are at wit's end, breathe, those of you who are broken. The kingdom of God is, is for you. The kingdom of God is here, and it's, it's for you. And, and then he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Last week we, we read a passage from Isaiah and it said, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. God has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to bring freedom to the captives, to release prisoners from darkness, to proclaim the Lord's favor, and to comfort those who mourn. All, all reasons that Jesus came. Now we can read this beatitude and, and do all kinds of damage. Jesus isn't saying that those of us who are, are mourning should be happy about it. Not, not at all. He's saying Jesus meets those of us who are mourning, who are heartbroken, right where we sit. Later this afternoon, 
after church, after a congregational meeting, uh, I'm driving down to San Diego to officiate my, my grandmother's memorial service tomorrow. It's something I, I feel honored to be a part of, but, but it's not necessarily something I'm, I'm looking forward to. It's hard to play the role of pastor and, and grandson in, in, in the same sphere. Now, over the years, as my mom and her brothers have, have prepared for my grandmother's passing, she was 103 as they've prepared, my mom has, has often asked me why her quality of life hasn't been great. What, what, what's, asked all these, 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 these questions. What, what, what is it? What is it? My mom said at one point, out of frustration, why is she living like this? And I didn't have a solid answer. But I did know it was rare for, for siblings in their 60s and 70s to get together weekly to go and see their mom. And so, so I said to my mom, I said, Mom, there's, there's a, a, a blessing in, in this. I mean, how, how close are you and your brothers in, in the midst of this? They found comfort as they met weekly in their morning. Jesus doesn't find some sort of satisfaction in our suffering. But when we follow him, we learn that sadness and joy are not necessarily mutually exclusive of one another. Let me say that again. Sadness and joy are not necessarily mutually exclusive of one another. It's why so often in memorial services you hear both tears or you see both tears and hear laughter. They're often paired with one another. And we begin to connect with others as, as we find others who are walking a similar journey. So whether we're mourning something personally or, or we're just sad over the state of the world, th- this blessing, this, this comfort comes in, in the reminder that we're not alone. And the reminder that we're not alone in the invitation to walk with one another and to walk with our Creator. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will find comfort. Then Jesus says that the meek will inherit the earth. He turns things upside down. Blessed are the powerless, the least influential, those who struggle, those who are seen as, as, as weak. The poor get God's kingdom, the grieving find comfort, and the unaggressive, unassuming, powerless, they get what all the powerful long for, the earth, the earth. Now, often when we think of someone who is meek, we we see helpless, we see see weakness, but that's not the picture that Jesus is painting here. There is a meekness that is mighty and a gentleness that is strong. It's the picture we see of Jesus when he's on his trial before his crucifixion. When Jesus promises the earth to the meek, he's saying that those who are are humble understand how God's kingdom unfolds in, in today's world. It's the picture of what we read earlier where the Apostle Paul caused the church in Ephesus to be humble, gentle, patient, and loving, working to maintain unity in the face of a divided world. It takes meekness. It takes meekness to maintain unity in the face of a divided world. 
This beatitude describes a rare quality, a person who, who values relationships over the need to be right, a person who focuses on the big picture, a person who doesn't need to win an argument or, pers- or, 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 or push a personal agenda. Meekness is not weak in the way that we think of it. It is strength. And the last group of people that Jesus lists as broken and, and blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is the beatitude who, who, who try and try and try, the people who, who try and try and try to live out their faith, to do the right thing. They, they try and try and try and constantly have that, that feeling in their gut that they will never do enough that they will never achieve enough, that they will never be enough, that they will never pray enough, that they will never read Scripture enough. That's what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's for those of us who come to church every week but still feel like something is missing. Those of us who have read through the Bible but four or five times and still say, I don't get it. Those of us who believe in Jesus but still struggle to explain our belief to those who we are closest to. We desire to see God glorified in every nook and cranny of our lives but can't shake the reality that we'll never really get there. The hunger and thirst for righteousness. Constantly hungry for more. And Jesus tells us at some point we'll be filled. At some point we'll be filled. As Jesus starts his sermon, he says, if you're poor in spirit, if you're poor in spirit, you'll see God's kingdom in a unique way. If you're poor in joy, if you're mourning, comfort is on the way. If you're poor in power, you see hope in places where others are blind. And if you're poor in righteousness, that hunger can push you to seek justice, to continue the work in every corner of the world, to see, search for grace and faith on every step of your journey. The Beatitudes, they, they start with Jesus blessing broken people. Before he gets to any sort of instruction, any sort of, hey, live this way, he starts with a blessing, with a benediction. It's an upside-down message for an upside-down kingdom. Later in Matthew, we're told of another time where where Jesus is talking with a a smaller group of people, a a group who had traveled with him for a while and who now faced the long journey that was was on their way. And, And he says a line that many of us know, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In Jesus' upside-down kingdom, the answer to exhaustion, the answer to brokenness, it's not a bed, it's not a vacation, it's not retirement, it's a yoke. It's not the image that I'm guessing most of you think of when you think of, oh, I'm tired. What is a yoke? It's a tool for work. It's it's a tool for work. Come to me, all you who are tired, and get to work. Come to me, all you who are are burdened, and and get to work. The yoke is easy, and the burden is light. It's an invitation to a journey. 
an invitation to, to live a life in a way with certain rhythms that is work. But it is a good work and it is a work that we do not do alone. The yoke that Jesus offers is different. It's an invitation to a rhythm of life with Jesus doing the significant work of God's kingdom. And that starts with broken people like you and like me. Let's pray. Gracious God, Scripture shows us over and over again that you work through broken people. Lord, we ask that that you would work through us. Help us to see where your kingdom is at work in this world and to get busy working. We pray these things in your name. Amen.